Dear Father in heaven, I want to thank you for your grace and your tender mercy. Lord, you never really give us what we deserve. You often, more often than not, give us what your son does. I ask, Father, for wisdom now that is beyond my years. Give us clarity of thought and feeling that reflect your own. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. So, of course, we've been covering the subject matter with Jesus in the family. What we say? Happy, happy home. Now, Jesus is not in the family. We could say sad, sad home. Is that right? Without Jesus in the family, it's a broken, broken home. Without Jesus in the family, it reflects the clear, disruptive, and brokenness that is presently in this world. And we don't want a home like that. Our homes want to reflect the realities of heaven. There should be, on this earth, families that have heavens on earth. I mean, that's what God wants. That's his desire. That's his ideal. That there are homes and families that reflect the realities of heaven. Now, last night, we talked about what sex can't do. Sex can't make love. Is that right? Sex can't make love. And neither can two human beings make love. Love is not generated in humanity in and of itself. In fact, if we're left to ourselves, we would destroy each other. For selfish intentions and selfish purposes, we use each other to make ourselves happy. We are not intentional in making others happy, except that it makes us happy that they're happy. Right? So even at the very base of all our even altruistic behavior, it's about me. But God wants to change that. Is that right, everybody? We talked about that. And we looked at that word, instead of the word sex, because you can't find that word in all the Bible, we looked at the word yada. And yada means to know, to discover. And if there's an intimacy there that is both body, mind, and soul. God alone can make love. God alone is the one, he is the source of all true, true love. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And now we're reading this, and again, we're talking about the secret of family unity. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're just going to begin reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and beginning at verse number 1. Again, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, it says, And though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, it profited me what? It says I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned. Now wouldn't you consider that a high act of loyalty? Being a martyr, burning for something, wouldn't that be a high act? But the Bible says you can do it and still not have love and it will profit you nothing. And have not charity, it profits me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never Failing. What is that? Did this just say never fails? So why do we fail? Because the reality is we don't have this love. 
It is not naturally innate in any human being. And if that love is not constantly demonstrated in the home, the home itself will suffer. Let's take the thought a little bit further. Remember, we talked about yesterday. God made man in his what? In his image. And God, the Bible says, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is so when God made man in his image, he made him in the image of love. This love is what we just read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It never fails. It's a constancy. Now, this is very interesting to me. As I've been thinking about it, being the husband of, a, of one wife and I have a little girl in my home. Lord, how do I demonstrate the reality of this type of love? Especially when you know you didn't see it when you were growing up all the time. Right? There are many who lived in homes where those homes have not always been happy, not always unified. So it's not been an example. In fact, when I was growing up, I'm looking for husbands and wives that actually liked each other, scanning the church. Huh? Looking at my parents, trying to figure it out. And there were few that I could go to and say, you know what? Will you please show me how to have a happy home? Well, there's one. One, one person that can show us the real, real way to have a happy home. We read this together. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowls of the air, over the cattle. Genesis 1:27. and God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him both what? Both what? Male and what? Female. So female, male and female are created in the image of God. Now let's think for a moment. You go back in that Old Testament story with me. There's a story there. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Eve wanders from her husband. And she listens to the voice of another man. God didn't hear that, did you? <laughs> listens to a voice of another creature. And the creature whispers sweet nothings in her ear. Are you listening? And whispers in her ear, hey. God is trying to hold something back from you. Do you know? Don't you want to be like God? Anybody here want to be like God? Absolutely. We all want to be like Jesus. Don't we all want to be like Jesus? You know, she had absolutely pure motives when she ate from that tree. You guys know that, right? Pure motives. She goes and she takes the fruit from the tree. And now the woman disconnected herself from her father in heaven now becomes a conduit for sin. Remember, she's in the image of God first. When she takes the fruit, she no longer bears his image. For the Bible says in Romans 6, 16, listen to me. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. So when Eve eats from the fruit, her image is changed. Her person is changed. Her character has been altered. And that altered character now goes to her husband. And her husband still bears the image of God. Listen to me. He still bears the image of God. In fact, he bears it so much so that he says, I'd rather die than be without her. You're not listening right now. He says, I would rather die than be without her, but not understanding his, his action, believe it or not, that action is a reflection of God. But he just didn't go to the source to figure out how to truly show the love that he desired for that woman. Are you listening to what I'm saying to you? 
Because there's nothing wrong with wanting to die for someone you love. Because when he bit the fruit, he knew death was coming. He wasn't questioning whether he's going to die or not. He knew. The Bible says Adam knew when he took the fruit, death was coming. He didn't know what death was. He had never experienced it before, but he knew. So now, watch carefully. When he eats from the fruit, the expected punishment did not come. And the spirit of prophecy says that he felt an rush go through his body. Some type of euphoria went through his system. And he's like, wow, this fruit is actually pretty good. And at this point, both the images have been changed. Neither one now reflecting the image of love, but both now reflecting the image. Here's Lucifer. Tell me something. What do you think Lucifer's main problem is? Right. And you know it. Lucifer's main problem? He has an eye problem. He has an eye problem. It's about me and I. Me and I. That's his problem. So the image is no longer the image of love. It's the image of selfishness. And if you look at the image of humanity today, the majority of all actions are based on selfishness. Wars based on selfishness. What we try to do is cover selfishness and make it look religious. We try to make it look Christian. We try to make it look like the reason why I'm being selfish is for my children. You're not being selfish for your children. You're being selfish because you are. You're not wanting your wife to behave this way because you love her. You want her to behave this way because this is what you want for yourself. It changes the, changes the modus operandi. You follow the idea? i give you an example. Here's a man who claims to be a seven-day Adventist. But he's sitting there and he's watching football. The wife knows that he's a seventh Adventist and he shouldn't be sitting there watching football. Now, here's two things that could happen. One, the wife can go to the television and say, stand in front of it. Now, baby, why are you watching TV? Huh? What are you doing in front of that television? You should be doing something else. And she could be talking, talking, talking. But the issue is not the television. The issue is she wants him to pay more attention to her. Is it good that he's watching television? The answer is no. Is it good now that the wife is going to say, please pay attention to me? The answer is no. What should happen? The concern should be over the soul of the man that's spending time watching the television. Now, how do you win someone if they're doing something that you know they're not supposed to do? How do you do it? Because now that changes the motive. It changes how you approach them. And it changes how that all going to work itself out. Are you listening to what I'm saying to you? Okay, I'll give you another example. Let's say, again, I'm just dealing with the man for a second. Let's say you have a man, and he has every ability in the world to go make money for the family, but he's not doing it. He's not doing it. He's just lazy, period. Just lazy. He's not going out. He's not putting any effort in. He's just going to sit around the house, and the woman has the job. She's making the money. She comes home. She sees him again watching football. She goes to him and says, aren't you going to get a job? Now, is it good that he's supposed to get a job? Yes. Absolutely, he better get a job. The Bible says a man that does not provide for his home is worse than an infidel. That's what the Bible says. So it's true that he's supposed to get a job. But is the motive of the wife in this case selfish? Depending on how she goes about it. Are you listening to what I'm saying? 
And, and right now, all I'm doing, I'm just going to the very crux of the issue. The issues are not necessarily the actions themselves. They have to do with the motives. Are you motivated for self-interest? Are you interested in the soul of the person that's causing, quote unquote, the frustration and the heartache and the pain? Now, let's take the, take the thought a little further. Here we go. I'm going to pass this one. So what's the secret of family unity? I'm going to share the secret. There's only one principle, one secret. If you understand this one purpose, one principle, one secret, it will save any family. It will preserve any home. It will keep any family together. So here it is. The cause of division and discord in families and in churches is bad breath. You know, is that it? <laughs> no, you don't think bad breath is it? I got a note one time, dating this girl. Eight months later, she wrote, the reason why I broke up with you is because you had bad breath. <laughs> That's what she wrote. She put that in there, among a myriad of other things. Oh, bad breath? Was that the reason? What about this? Tell me if this is appropriate. This division and discord in their families and in churches is because they have anger problems. Is that the main reason why? Oh, tell me something. I'll tell you the truth. There are people who have anger problems. Have you been to board meetings? Have you just been in your home relationships where people start yelling at each other and arguing with each other and then they just, you know, sometimes it even gets physical. Is that the reason why there's division and discord in the family because people have anger problems? Let's go a little further. What about laziness? People are just plain out lazy. They don't work. They have no desire to work. Work is almost like a disease to them. You follow the idea? Lazy. Well, you know, you would think that's probably a, a, the main reason why families are broken and churches don't work well. Let's go a little further. What about pornography? I mean, pornography is a big, big problem. One that people don't want to talk about. You know what I'm saying? It's a little taboo. Don't say nothing about that. It, it's messing up relationships. It causes uh, uh, sex activity in the bed to go way down because the man has some strange idea of what sex is like. And the wife is not like that little pornography they watch on the, on the screen. Is that a reason why the homes don't work? All right, so look, what about sex? Maybe there's not enough sex. Maybe there's, no, maybe there's just not enough sex in a relationship. You want to keep your man, you read the Cosmopolitan magazine, keep your man, make sure you have enough sex with him, you'll keep him. Is that, is that the reason why there's not enough sex? Or maybe there's too much sex. <laughs> what about this? Money problems. They say you do a survey, you go through and do a survey, over 60% say the reason why the relationships are broken is because they're having money problems. Would you consider this the, the main reason why homes are broken? The Bible does say the love of money is the root of how much evil? Oh. I wonder if that's the reason. Let's take it a little further. Let's go here. I think the next one I'm going to give you is the answer to the problem. Watch this. The cause of division and discord in families and in churches is separation from Christ. That's it. Everything else is simply a fruit of the separation. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Separation from Christ. No, it's not the pornography that she's watching or he's watching. No, it's not the lack of sex in the marriage. No, it's not because they have anger problems. No, no, no. None of that's the real reason why homes are broken. I tell you the truth. Majority of homes are broken because they have been separated from Christ. And the crazy part about it is... The majority of divorces happen in the Christian church. More than even in, my, in the Northeast where I live, the secular Northeast, 
There, the divorce rate is higher in the Bible Belt than it is in the Northeast where they do not believe in God. Why? Why is that? Because, listen to me, selfishness has been cloaked in religiosity. Selfishness has been covered in Christendom. So it's just walked into the church. We look religious, and because we look religious, we feel like we're okay, and we're not. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you, family? Yes. We go to church every Sabbath. Boom, boom, boom. I did my religious duty, but it doesn't mean that you have been born again. It doesn't mean that you have a renewed heart. Separation from Christ is the reason for all this division. Notice, to come near to Christ is to come near how? To one another. The secret of true unity in the church and in the family is not diplomacy. So not diplomacy. It's not management. Although I think management has been messed up on many levels. Not superhuman efforts to overcome difficulties. So no, those three things are not going to make the family stay together. Now watch this. Though there will be much of this to, to do. So yes, you are supposed to do diplomacy. You are supposed to have management. You are supposed to put superhuman efforts forward to keep the family together. But this is not the main point. Though there will be much of this to do, but union with Christ. This becomes our main focus, our main energy, our main passion. I'm going to tell you why. You see, if you don't make an effort to push closer to Christ, all you're doing, even though you think you're trying to make an effort to each other, is repelling each other. You ever seen two magnets? One positive and another positive. Two positives, do they come together? No, two positives don't come together. They repel each other. Is that right? And that's our condition. Husband, wife, mother, child. We're both positives or both negatives, however you want to call it. And you put those two together, all you do is repel, repel, repel. So what has to happen? Our push needs to be something that is opposite of our character. The person's name is Jesus. Watch this. Picture a circle, she says, from the edge of which many lines are running to the center. The nearer these lines approach the center, the nearer they are to what? To one another. So let's do it. Here's Jesus. And all around, now here are all the different relationships. There are many more types of relationships than I put here on the screen. But here are the relationships. Dad, mom, son, daughter, in-laws, extended family, daughter, heaven, earth. You can put church, division, whatever you want to put there. We're all on our separate lines. But the only way unity will transpire is if dad pushes towards Jesus. And mom pushes towards Jesus. As dad and mom push closer to Jesus, they actually come closer to who? To each, to each other. You want to solve the problem in the relationship? You want to solve the problem in the home? You want to push closer to Jesus. You want to stop arguing about certain things? You push closer to Jesus. Make Jesus the center of all your actions and your passions and your love. And everybody will become closer and closer together. Now, if you do it the other way, I tell you the truth. If you go and you try to do it this way, you try to go from dad and try to just go straight to mom, you're going to repel each other. And it will be like, you know, it seemed like we were doing so good for the first month. And then after that, it was all downhill. Well, yeah, it's very simple. We can't get along without the man Jesus. Can't do it.
So dad must push closer to Jesus, mom must push closer to Jesus. Son must push closer to Jesus, and as he does that, he comes closer to his mom and dad. Daughter must also go closer to Jesus. Uh, In-laws must come closer to Jesus. Extended family closer to Jesus. Heaven and earth all find their place where? In Jesus. In fact, go with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. Watch this now, my friends. A very simple concept, but if it was so simple, how come for so few people are happy in their relationships? Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians, the first chapter. And we're going to begin reading at verse number three. Watch carefully, my friends. Ephesians, the first chapter, beginning at verse three. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places where in Christ. in Christ according as he have chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace where he has made us accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption who do we have redemption in? In Christ. Through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Whose grace? Christ's grace. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. Now watch this. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things where? In Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So if I'm a, a thinking man or a thinking woman, and I know that in Christ, all the blessings of heaven, all the blessings of Earth. Everything that's far, as far as unity is concerned is found in this man Jesus. My question would be, how do I press closer to him? Shouldn't that be your question? Shouldn't that be your question? If you're trying to save a family, if you're trying to bring a, a unit together and make it a heaven on earth, the question should be, how do we come together so much so that it would be like living in heaven right here on earth? I want to know that. Wouldn't you want to know that? Because yes. I tell you the truth. It is the worst feeling in the world to be in love with someone and then the next minute to hate the very sight of them. That's the worst feeling. To love someone so much so and the next minute you're like, you know what? If you don't get out of my face right now, I feel like I'm going to punch you in your head. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a crazy feeling, but listen. People feel that way. Well, they start thinking maybe we weren't supposed to be married. Doesn't that come into people's mind? Yes, it does. Maybe, maybe we weren't supposed to be together. Those questions start coming in. Once those questions start coming in, what starts happening? Emotional withdrawal. Separation from each other. Losing yourself in your work. Losing yourself in your job. 
losing yourself in your entertainment instead of spending time with this person, this other human being that God has so graced you with to be in the relationship. Do you understand the problem, my friends? It's a problem. Huge, huge, huge problem. And I'm telling you today, I'm telling you today, God can do something for each one if they find their place in Christ. So let's go a little further. I want to take you back to an Old Testament story. Go past this. This is Revelation chapter 12, a woman. There's the dragon. The dragon goes after the woman to devour her child as soon as it is born. The dragon is called the devil and Satan. He has a, a place. Initially, he had it right here in the most holy place. This is where he was. He was called the anointed covering chair. You guys know that, right? This is where he was in the direct presence of God. Now, I'm going to use this story to explain the principle of the secret of unity. Okay? This story is Lucifer standing in the very presence of God. His job in his operation was to protect the covenant. He's the anointed covering cherub. The law of God is in the most holy place. His job, if you look at this angel, look at their faces. Faces directly looking to the Shekinah glory of God. That was his job, his position, looking directly there. Now, he's in that position... And the Bible tells us how, that's the question, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did is what? Weaken the nations? Curious question. Now, the reason why the question is so curious, because my question would be, well, how did he weaken the nations? Wouldn't you want to know that? Would you want to know how he weakened the nations? Watch this. Proverbs 14.34 Righteousness does what? Exalts the nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Now think with me for a moment now. Think with me. Proverbs 14.34 says righteousness exalts a nation. Isaiah 14 just said Lucifer weakens the nation. So if Lucifer is weakening the nations, what does Lucifer attack? He, he does attack, just using the verse though, just using the verse. Well, he attacks the nation. How does he attack the nation? By attacking what? The people. Okay, how does he attack the people? What does he get the people to do? Sin. 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 He gets them to sin. Why? Because sin is the antithesis of righteousness. It's the opposite of it. So in reality, what Lucifer attacks, he attacks righteousness. It's the very foundation of God's throne. Now, I'm going to tell you a secret, and it's not really a secret, but it's a secret to most. How do I say this, Father? Only that which lasts forever will make you happy. Can I say that that way? Only that which lasts forever will make you happy. What happens? I'll give you an example. Give me a, a, a quick example. Let's say a... a um, a boy and he likes a girl she's not married but they have sex in the interaction of having sex is actually fun you can't tell a young person that sex is not fun it, it's fun but what happens is when that sex is over and then that boy gets up and leave or that girl gets up and leave what they walk away with is not necessarily fun per se but they walk away with guilt so what they have to do now in order to get rid of the guilt, I need to go drink something or I need to go do something else that hides the guilt. So they go find some other type of 
fun, which is a very temporary fun, but they go drink to kind of get, get away from that, which puts them back in the same scenario as before because their brains are all clouded and they go back and have more sex, which creates more guilt. So they have to go get some more drugs to hide the guilt that they have and they put it, and it just call, it causes a greater, greater, greater depression and death. Does everybody understand the concept? Yes. But in the context of marriage, when sex is had in that context of that boundary, there's nothing to hide there. You can think about it all day if you want. There's no guilt there. It's in the context and the confines of what God desires for that relationship to be in. So that will last. Amen. That will be okay. Anything that's done outside of the everlasting covenant, outside of the everlasting law of God, will only bring sadness, sorrow, brokenness, humiliation, and the list can go on and on and on. If you want your family to be happy, then you must figure out what righteousness is. And at every level, implement righteousness in that home. Whether it be a dress, whether it be in food, whether it be in exercise, whatever it is, I don't care what aspect of your life it is, in that home, immediately begin to implement these principles of righteousness. But there's a problem. None of us are righteous. Right? Isn't that a problem? None of us in ourselves innately have any righteousness inside. So Lucifer does this. Righteousness exalts the nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. Lucifer weakens the nations. Therefore, by, by default, go with me now to Psalms 119, 172. Actually, before we go there, go to Proverbs 16, verse 12. And then we'll go to Psalms. Proverbs, Proverbs 16, verse 12. Proverbs 16, verse 12. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs 16, verse 12. It says, it is an abomination to kings to commit what? Wickedness. For the throne is established by righteousness. A throne is established by righteousness. Go with me now to Psalms. Watch this. Psalms 97. Psalms 97. Psalms 97 and verse 2. Psalms 97 and verse 2. Notice here what the Bible says in Psalms 97 verse 2. It says, it's talking about God's throne now. Psalms 97 verse 2. Clouds and darkness are around about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation or the foundation of his throne. So the foundation of God's throne is righteousness. Keep it in mind. Psalms 119, 172. Psalms 119, 172. Notice here what the Bible says. Psalms 119, 172. Look carefully. It says, My tongue shall speak of thy word. For all thy what? Commandments, Commandments are what? So if, if I'm looking and making an equation, if I were making an equation, I'm going like this. I'll put it like this. Righteousness exalts a nation. Exalts nation. Righteousness is the foundation of God's throne. 
In righteousness, we just read, equals the commandments. So then the issue then would be, hmm, if righteousness is zoxination, and righteousness is the foundation of God's throne, and righteousness equals God's commandments, then it will tell me then that the foundation of a home would be the commandments. This is something that lasts how long? Forever. God's law doesn't go away. This is forever. God's commandments are sure. They last forever. I don't care what the world says that God's law is done away with. I don't care what they say in regards to, well, you can't, if well, keeping the commandments is legalism, eh, wrong answer. It's very simple. The very foundation of God's throne is righteousness. The very foundation of the exaltation is righteousness. Righteousness equals God's commandments. Therefore, if my home is going to be happy, it needs to reflect the commandments of God. Anything brought into the home, when I say anything, I do mean anything. Anything that is brought into the home that does not fit with these commandments will bring in a wedge to destroy your family. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Amen. So this needs, in a family, this needs to be 100%, sorry, 100% implemented. In other words, I cannot do... Uh, okay, family, we're 97% of keeping God's commandments. This 3% we're just going to keep so we can have fun. For instance, I'll give you an example. This is what you said. I don't know what happens today. I, I haven't gone into people's homes in a long time, right? But let's say what we used to do, because Blockbuster Video, I don't know if it's still going or not. We go Blockbuster. Right? So we get Blockbuster Video. All week long, we've been working hard, focused, giving Bible studies all week. So we just can watch one movie, and it's just rated R. So if it's rated R, the children should go to bed, and I'm a grown-up. I'm strong enough to handle rated R movie. Right? I mean, that's how, that's how we think. So we're bringing that rated R movie, not understanding that it's the same, same thing that Eve did when she bit from the... It's the same thing. So now, believe it or not, whether you're conscious of it or not, you now have a little devil sitting on your shoulder. And the Bible says that by beholding, you become what? So you've watched the show where there's shoot em up, bang, bang, karate, I got, and then you, you want to go to your wife and say, sweetie, I love you. And not understanding that that stuff is inside. So when a disagreement comes, you're not going to easily back down from the disagreement. You're going to fight. I'm going to hold my, I'm the man. Respect me, woman. Are you serious? <laughs> Come on, I mean, that, that, that's a reflection of what you've just absorbed as you're watching that shoot em up, bang em up, shoot em down movie. You follow the idea? Or it could be another way. I'm just using TV as an example. There are many other ways to do the same concept. But let's say, you know what? Days of our lives. Here's the woman at home watching Days of Our Lives. And this handsome gentleman is walking through the TV set and women are swooning. And she's like, I wish my husband was like that. Right? 
So as she's sitting there watching Days of Elias and her mind is getting entrapped in all this fantasy and all this stuff, the reality of her husband comes in through the door and it's not quite like the TV show. Right? Have you ever noticed, if you watch Days of Our Lives, at least when I seen it, it was so bad. When my sister was watching a show back in the day when we were little, and I walked in, I had never watched a soap opera before. And I walked in, she was like, Andre, sit down and watch this for a second. I'm sitting there watching, I'm like, this is garbage. This is garbage. And then the next day she's not home, you know what I did? I went and sat down and watched the show. This is still garbage. It's still garbage. I'm saying it's garbage in my head, but I'm watching the show. And then it leaves you on a cliffhanger, so I come back the next day. You know that show never ends? They never solve the problem. It's never resolved. That's why you keep going back. And finally, I woke up and said, hey, Dre, 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 what are you doing? Snap out of it. Anyway, fantasy. So now your husband comes home. He's not as dapper. He doesn't have the same graces. You live in a small little house. Nothing compared to what you saw on TV. And now, now look, now you take that same stuff that you observed and watched, and now you're mad at your husband. Your husband has no idea why you're mad at him. Right? Like, what's wrong? Why are you acting like this? I mean, it's a, it's a real thing. It's, it's really happening to the people of God. They are being in the, that 3% of fun coming in to destroy the 100% of happiness. Righteousness needs to be implemented at every level if your home's going to be happy. One other point. So you have children. You say, you know, we got to keep them entertained. So we buy them video games. You tantalize their, their minds with these video games, and then when you say, will you please come and sweep the floor? What? Sweep the floor? I don't want to sweep the floor. I'm not coming to sweep the floor. You guys to sweep the floor. I'm playing. Well, in a minute, Mom. And a minute goes to 10 minutes. 10 minutes goes to half an hour. I thought I told you to sweep the floor. But you gave him a game that mesmerizes and he has no true sense of reality or hard work or anything like that. But he's captivated in his game. Listen, I'm just, all I'm saying to you is if you introduce 3%, 1%, if you introduce 1.5%, if you do 0.03% of sin into your home, I guarantee you that 0.3% will be enough to destroy your happiness. What about Facebook? Well, that's a good question. You know, they, they say Facebook has been the demise of many homes. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I mean, I'm not against Facebook, okay? Because I use it as a means of getting the message out and telling people there's a convocation, August 21 to 25, please come to the meetings. But there's a danger in Facebook. There's a danger in Facebook communicating, but we'll, we'll deal with that in the next two sessions, okay? There's a danger there, but it's not evil. So I'm not gonna go around and say it's evil, don't use it, because that's the other extreme, I think, in my opinion, all right? But principally, if you introduce sin into your home, it will destroy it. Does everybody understand the idea? Yes. At any level, if you want a happy home, then there must be righteousness put into that home, and you and I don't have it naturally, so that means we have to be converted. The thing is, we think we're converted already because we're religious. But religious doesn't mean conversion. Let's take the concept just a little bit further. Watch this. So Lucifer, Lucifer, 
Lucifer. Oh, look at that. Oh. <laughs> That's not Lucifer. That looks like a happy, happy couple. Doesn't that look like a happy couple? Yes. Well, Lucifer is going to try to take that smile off that couple's face. That's what he's going to do. That's how most marriages start out with a smile. Some end in 55 hours. Some end in one year. Some end in 20 years of marriage. Some end in 30 years. But his goal is to destroy anyone that looks like that. Manifesting any type of true love. Now let's go back for a moment. I thought I put it in here. I guess I didn't put it in here. Let me start here. So what does love look like? Because Lucifer has made it so that it's hard to see and understand what it looks like. I want to take you to a place where love is demonstrated. So, uh, Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Because this is the only way that if you're going to be happy, if you're going to have a home that reflects heaven, we must see one that has demonstrated love in such a great way. Now Lucifer says, I will ascend. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I, I, I. But the Son of God says, you know what? I'm going to become like my broken humanity. And notice what the Bible says in Matthew 27. We're going to begin reading at verse 24. Watch carefully. This is love in action. This is love in action. Remember, love suffers how? Suffers long. Verse 24 says, When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather that a torment was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and our what? And our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him. When they say stripped him, they stripped love. And they put on love a scarlet robe. And when they had played it a crown of thorns, they put it on love's head. And a reed in love's right hand. And they bowed the knee before love and mocked love, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on love. And they took the reed and smote love on the head. And after that, they mocked love. They took the robe off of love and put love's own raiment on love and led love away to crucify love. Wow. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compared to bear love's cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave love vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when love had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified love and parted love's garment. Casting laws that they might fulfill which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments upon them. And upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down they watched love there. And they set up over love's head this accusation. This is Jesus the king of the Jews. Then were the two thieves crucified with him. One on the right hand another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thy what? Wait a second. What does it say? Save your what? Save yourself? Well, that's not love. Love does not save itself. Love does not seek its own. Love is not easily provoked. And on all that, as you see the man Jesus dying, that's what you see right there. Love. 
demonstrated in its most clear and stark manner. But going still a little, yet a little further, watch carefully. Verse number 41, actually verse 40, saying thou that destroys the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the one. In other words, Satan is saying through these people, do not demonstrate love. Show yourself like we would show ourselves. Save yourself. Let me ask you a question. When you have an argument with your wife or you have an argument with your husband, tell me truly, is the argument for their sake or for you to be proven that you're right? All right? You're proving your position. Tell me, who wins in that argument? Nobody. Nobody. Nobody does. I'm telling you, if you see yourself getting into an argument, trust me when I tell you, nobody wins an argument. Even if you prove your point, everybody loses. Everybody loses. Love does not come down from the cross. Love stays there, not for its own sake, but for the sake of those who are punking him. It's absolutely not anything like what I'm like. It's everything that God is and that he wants to put inside of each one of us. Notice what else it does. Notice what, notice what, what else love does. Verse 42. He saved others. Love saved others. Love cannot save himself. If he be the king of the Jews, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If God will have love. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in their teeth. Now watch this. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land to the ninth. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why has thou what? Sounds like love is suffering. Some of them that stood by, stood there when they heard that said, this man called for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him the drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether or not Elias will come and save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. The earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were opened and many of the bodies was, of the saints were slept arose. And came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared on the many. Now watch verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching, I'm going to use the word love, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the love of God. At Calvary. It shows us the science of saving the family. Listen to me. At Calvary, it shows us the science of saving the family. What family is Jesus saving? What's, what family? The human family. What do you have to do if you're going to save your family? Who has to die? Your husband or you? You must die. Self must die die if you're going to keep and save your family. Amen. 
Self must die. Don't tell me how bad your husband is. Don't tell me how bad your wife is. Don't tell me how bad the finances are or how bad the addictions are. Forget about all that. I want you to figure out how you are to die in the man Jesus. You must die. When you die, Christ will be resurrected within. And there's nothing that Jesus cannot save. There's nothing that Jesus can restore. You must die. This is the secret of family unity. Drawing closer and closer to Christ until there's no separation at all between you and him. So close that when they look at you, what they, all they really see is Jesus. So close. No space between. I want to read to you a quotation from the book Desire of Ages. I want you to hear this. This is beautiful. Such a powerful quotation from this book. And this will be my last point, And then we'll take a break. This is from the Desire of Ages. I believe it's page 24, 26. Must be page 25. Right there in the middle. Now watch this, my friends. It says, by his life and his death, Christ has achieved even more than recovery from the ruin wrought through sin. It was Satan's purpose to bring about eternal separation. What's another word for separation? Sin. Sin, or I'm going to use the word in marriage. It's called divorce. It was Satan's purpose to bring about eternal divorce between God and man. But in Christ, we become more closely united to God, married, than if we had never fallen. Listen. In taking our nature, the Savior has bound himself to humanity. Another word for bound is married. By a tie that is never to be broken. Through the eternal ages, he is linked with us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him not only to bear our sins and to die as our sacrifice. He gave him to the fallen race. Now watch this. To assure us of his immutable counsel of peace. God gave his only begotten son to become one of the human family. Forever to retain human nature. How long does he retain human nature? Do you understand what that means? He's God. He never had to take on human nature. Even for God to take on human nature before sin. If man had never sinned and for God to put human nature on, it's a whole step down from creation. You don't understand the idea? But for him to put on human nature after sin has come into play, that's love, my friends. And he's married it, and it says that he's married to it forever. Never to be divorced from it. Human nature in the person of his son. And has carried the same into the highest heaven. It is the son of man that shares the throne of the universe. <laughs> it is the son of man who shares the throne of the universe. It is the son of man whose name is called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The I Am is the daysman between God and humanity, laying his hand upon both. He who is holy, harmless, undefiled, 
separate from sinners is not ashamed to call us brethren. In Christ, the family in earth and the family of heaven are bound together. Christ glorified is our brother. Heaven is enshrined in humanity and humanity is enfolded in the bosom of infinite love. That's powerful, my friends. The God of the universe didn't think it a small matter to come and take on human form and be married to this forever. He suffers long for this, this relationship. And if he's willing to suffer, love is demonstrated in suffering. In giving. Even when you don't feel like it. How many understood what we talked about this morning? You understand what we talked about? How many are going to ask God to, to, for this secret of family unity to never ever be separated from Christ in any iota? In any way, not even 3%, not even 0.05%. In every nuance, in every manner, making sure that we are connected with the God of the universe. If we do this, happiness is a guarantee. It's a guarantee. Let's pray together. Father, again, it's a privilege to call you our Father and our God and our friend. You are our, our lover. You are the one that creates love inside of us, Father, when we are completely rebellious and completely selfish and completely self-centered. And Father, we repent of this very condition, Lord, and we want to turn from this, and we want the realities of the gospel to be in our hearts. Father, this seems so beyond us, but I am reminded of the man Jesus, and as we behold him, we are told that we are changed. So Lord, we want a clearer revelation of your dear son. Give us clearer, clearer views of the great sacrifice through your dear son. Help us to understand the privilege of being your children. Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly upon the merits of the Savior. You're promising us that you will send every angel in heaven to the aid of such a one. Oh, Father, we claim this promise this morning. Do for our families what we cannot do for ourselves. We pray this in the name of Jesus and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen.